welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. This episode is supported by SW Basics, a skincare line that values organic, fair trade ingredients, five or less per product. It's a pretty rare thing to find in our beauty products these days. I love that for sure. Oils, masks, balms, salves, toners, cleansers, you name it, they've got the essentialist version of it. SW Basics founder Adina has said, we encourage our audience to aspire to get control of their routines and then stop giving a shit. I'm in. Me too. So visit swbasics.com to poke around and see all the lovely products they have to offer and enter code UPBRINGING for 15% off. Now onto our conversation. Emily Katz is a creative consultant, interior designer, macrame educator, and artist. She creates large-scale custom installations and teaches macrame workshops all over the world. Modern Macrame offers ready-made products and do-it-yourself materials for crafters and artists, as well as online courses in the beautiful art of macrame. Emily's work has been featured in the LA Times, Elle France in Japan, and Nylon, among many other publications. And she's recently home from tour promoting her Amazon bestseller, Modern Macrame, 33 Stylish Projects for Your Handmade Home. We loved connecting with Emily about her inspiring, ever-evolving home and sense of style the family reconnection that led to modern macrame, and how she's honestly and intentionally approaching the possibility of becoming a mother. Don't miss out on our conversation after show, which is the next episode available now. We'll take some time to twin talk our favorite moments and find ways to apply what we've learned from Emily to our parenting experience. Okay, here we go. freedom in the structure. Mm-hmm. I was a printmaking major in college for a year and a half in art school. And I thought there was a little part of me that thought like, maybe I should go into the military. <laughs> and I just because I never had any structure. Yeah. And yeah, growing up, I never really had any. That structure. would seem appealing then. Yeah, there was some there was some appeal. And actually, I took so many extra courses because I wanted to do so many things. And the only way to accomplish everything was to literally plan every hour of my day out. And I did get to find that freedom within the structure. Yeah, we talk about that with parenting a lot, where we're like, we never thought we could be this productive <clears throat> with kids because due to the overwhelm of all of the things, you have to then organize we the things. We get so much more done than we did before we had kids. Yeah. Well, I've never heard that before, but that's <laughs> great. <laughs> Perfect. Good to Except know. Except for resting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you look great. <laughs> I love hearing about your past, Emily. Like it, we see so much of your present on social media and yeah. um, see all the beautiful things you make. But I'm always curious, how did somebody kind of develop their home, their sense of style, their creativity um, over time through family? Like I'm just, I'm kind of curious about that. Like where, where did you get your sense of style? Where, how do you attribute that process of creativity to? Uh, I would I would definitely say that it came from my dad. So he always loved like in the in the when I was a kid, 
so I was born in 82 and uh, we lived in Tucson, Arizona. And my dad was really into buying nice things. Like he had beautiful Danish modern furniture. I mean, really beautiful furniture, <laughs> you know, things that he had scored for great deals. Um, and he used to be in the jewelry business and the fine jewelry and the estate jewelry. So he had a lot of cash lying around. And I think he just invested it always in beautiful things. And uh, they were definitely, uh, like, definitely hippies, my parents. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no synthetic anything, like, only natural fibers. So mm-hmm. uh, it, so that was part of our lives as far as, like, uh, hardwood floors and rugs and everything had to be, like, all natural fibers. And Which in the 80s was like... Kind of a big deal, yeah. yeah. different. Um, but I think I think that I got my, my design sensibility, but I, they were never really like about the physical world in a certain way. Like mm-hmm. my mom and dad both are kind of living on another more like ethereal plane in a certain way. And so, you know, even though my dad, and he, you know, he, he went to a yard sale once and bought just pallets full of this beautiful handmade wooden parquet flooring Mm -hmm. and we bought them in arizona and carted them all the way to oregon before we finally found a place for them but so he had he had those kinds of like a dreamer but like definitely that that magical totally a dreamer that magical intentionality where you think like it sounds like they would be materialistic in that they care about things, they care about the quality, they want to buy things. But then you're saying too that there's a magic in it of like, it just creates a space. Mm -hmm. The reasons behind it are not what you would naturally expect. Yeah. It sounds like. It wasn't about making it look a certain way. It was about being really intentional about each element that fit into, or that not even fit into, but supported the lifestyle. Well, and therefore, it being how it feels, which we talk about a lot, how mm-hmm. things feel over how things look. Mm-hmm. That makes me think yeah. of your house, though, too. Like, yeah. the couple times we visited, it's just everything supports everything else, and it just feels so eclectic and warm and, and holistic mm-hmm. in yeah. that way. Yeah. Totally. I saw on Instagram recently that you're doing the KonMari. Oh, yeah. How's that going? Oh, my gosh. Well, we... We're on to paper. We're almost done with our papers. Uh, but the thing about papers for us is that there's a lot of sentimental papers. That one really scared me. Mm-hmm. A lot of, like, I have stacks of, of handwritten um, of tablature and music lyrics from when I was, starting when I was, like, 12, from writing songs that's just in this giant, you know, not organized folio, my handwriting. You, I loved like looking through the evolution of my little girl handwriting mm-hmm. to my teenage angsty handwriting mm-hmm. to my like more current handwriting. Um, but I, I had to set that aside because I'm like, oh, I guess that's technically sentimental. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been going really well. It was kind of intense because we. So we started with the intention and we sat on the living room floor and we put a sheepskin rug down and Adam and I sat with our knees touching and facing each other and we closed our eyes and we thanked the house. And one of the things that Adam did when he first bought the house was he had this woman, Carly, come in and they did a meditation with the house and they planted a crystal in the basement and in the attic Mm -hmm. and they did 
just like a gratitude to the home when he first bought it. So we sat in the same place that he had sat at that time. And and I really asked for freedom that the house that that if we could really respect the frame of our 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 shelter in a more intentional way that it would give us more freedom and flexibility and spaciousness um because even though we've ne- I've never had a lack of anything I definitely have felt this uh this need to gather and I think that that manifests in a lot of ways, in physical ways, in health ways, mm-hmm. in just stuffiness, cloudiness ways. And so I've been thinking, okay, if we can clear everything out, we can have this sort of cleaner bowl, you know, this like support system of space that will enable us to be more free. And one of the things, one of those parts of freedom was that Adam and I really want to be able to travel more together. I travel a lot and I love it and he loves to travel too and I miss him when I travel and so we've wanted to travel together more and one of and so I set that intention um and then we started that afternoon going through our clothes and piled them all on the bed and everything um and then the afternoon our cat started to get sick and it was really interesting because one of the pieces of the puzzle to being more free and being able to travel was oh, when cow bear passes, we'll be able to do this. And three days later, we had to put her down. And uh, we were home all of those days working on the house and going through things and letting go of everything. And it was kind of this amazing uh, example of what was important Like, what was actually important? Mm -hmm. Because this shirt or this dress or this Mm -hmm. scarf or whatever, like, who cared, really? Because there's this creature who we've spent... Well, Adam's had her for, like, 18 years. Um, This creature that taught us so much about what was really important was was leaving. And it was so heartbreaking and... um, we planted a we we buried her in the backyard and put a dogwood tree over and we'll get to she's there still <laughs> yeah. she's just still such a part of our life and will always be and um, I love that <clears throat> intention setting though in some magical way like gave her permission to let go yeah too totally you know and back to the 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 freedom and structure like exactly. ha- holding that structure of that vessel the home mm-hmm then is freeing you up to make those choices and set that intention let go of all the things that you need to let go of within it. I don't think we think of abundance as abundance of space or abundance of potential. I think we think of abundance as, you know, items or opportunities or, you know, things or whatever. Um, I love that. Yeah. Mm. So it really was able, she, she gave us a huge gift in saying, okay, here's, you want to let go? Here you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so that was just, it felt really interesting that it happened right at that time. Uh, but it, it's feeling really good. We, we donated 20 boxes of books. Wow. And like 
eight boxes of clothes and I still have some mm-hmm. of the things that I'm going to try to sell to because I I wish I could just let go of them you know mm-hmm. I was such a thrifter when I was a kid mm-hmm. I mean like the Goodwill bins mm. and I mean I I've made my living buying vintage clothes at one point and putting embroidery on them mm-hmm. so it was like there's this little part of me that okay you know I'm in my late 30 or mid 30s there's all those teenagers out there who are going to find these gems, yeah. but I'm still attached to some of it. Totally. Thinking it through, um, we've gone through the process. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say as intentionally as you have. That's really inspiring. Um, but in little kind of fits and starts. And it's just interesting to think, why do we keep what we mm-hmm. keep? What's the reasoning behind yeah, it? Yeah, there are like multiple criteria. Sometimes it's because you paid a certain amount so you just like it's worth this sometimes mm-hmm. it's the sentimental value so it's worth something else or it's or, a, you know it was part of who you were that you don't want to give up yet or it was a, a memory or associated with some other, someone else like there's just there's so much baggage to our stuff yeah I think um, the thing that we kept remembering and kept going back to was that if it had a memory that we loved that sparked joy that filled us with that like oh my god I wore this hat the day that we met you know even if I never wear it anymore, I'm going to put it on the wall. And every time I look at it, I'm going to think about that summer day in the short jean shorts and the, mm-hmm. you know, cowboy boots that were too small and you had to throw me over your shoulder because I had blisters. Mm-hmm. And that's the memory that I think of when I look at that hat, that I'm going to keep it, even if I never wear it. Totally. But what about home decor things where it's like this white vase? I wouldn't say it sparks joy, but I do believe it has a kind of a cohesive element to mm. where it sits with these other items. Mm-hmm. Does that count? Because how does that work? Uh, items like affect they, each other. Yeah, in they can't just be overlying. isolated and valuable just in and of themselves necessarily. Yeah. How does that work? Well, it's funny because I've as I like to buy beautiful clothes, and I have definitely over the years like amassed quite a selection of things and I know we're talking about home decor but mm-hmm. but one of the things that I've kind of come to with my closet is that I have a lot of really special pieces but sometimes they don't really all go together mm-hmm. I'm like this dress is really special but I don't actually have the right jacket to go with it mm-hmm. yet mm-hmm. maybe yet. you know <laughs> <laughs> but as I think about things like that with the home decor that you know, if it if it works, maybe something else will come in to replace mm-hmm. it at some point, and then you can you can shift it out. But if you like how it looks all together, then I don't think you have to get rid of it just yeah. because it doesn't spark joy that one particular thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's sort of. I feel like we could speak the whole conversation about this. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Keep like teaching us. Yeah, about I mean, a, I am not an expert. I am not an but expert. But I'm just so interested in everyone's process and how yeah. they view those things and those items. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so emotional, all of that stuff. We've been able to yeah. now move those, like that special hat and those things, because our homes are so small, we can't have them all in there and we can't have them in our closet space. So we're like, if they spark joy, if they're a wonderful memory, we put them in a bin and they go in our shed as a keepsake for our kids. Mm-hmm. So Sweet. we've had them as our next like kind of scapegoat thing <laughs> where we're like purgatory yeah. or limbo. In, it goes into the limbo. limbo. Yeah. That's been the where best it's, that we It's not can cluttering do. our space, but we don't have to say that sad goodbye. And it doesn't feel like yeah. a, a burden having them either. It feels right. good keeping them I think that yeah. that is probably a big part of the key to keeping it because for us we have an attic and we have a basement and both of them are full of stuff yeah. I mean Adam and I were both 
really talented thrift shoppers Mm -hmm. for over 10 years. He used to work for Stumptown Coffee, and I guess it doesn't matter, I can say this now, but sometimes on his runs to deliver coffee, he would, like, stop on his lunch break Mm -hmm. and go thrift shopping in Salem. Mm -hmm. You know, take a lunch, but really go check Mm -hmm. out and hit up all the Mm -hmm. spots, you know, and so he's been a collector. Every time I travel somewhere, I, like, feel like I always want to bring something special back, so... I've gotten into bringing smaller things. Mm-hmm. That's key. Perfumes or things that remind me of the place in a different kind of way. Or get food. In, get into miniatures. Yeah. Or consumables. Consumables. <laughs> I, like, every, every year now for Christmas, my family knows they just get me food stuff. I love that when you travel too, not only do you take something home, but like you get the opportunity to give an experience to people mm. through macrame. And I think that's so neat Are that we you're saying that right. Should yeah. we be emphasizing we, the e more at the macrame, end? No, macrame, just, no, macrame. it's macrame, macrame, macrame. Okay, okay. <laughs> checking. Um, but just imagining that you know, moving on from things to experiences. I think it's so cool that you don't just sell completed macrame items. That the way you work with macrame is either designing something with somebody or for somebody or teaching people and having that experiential kind of journey with them. That's so cool. Thanks. Yeah, Yeah. and now actually the majority of our business is providing materials, which is never something that I expected would be my, my outlet. And it's not really my creative, well it is kind of my creative outlet now is coming up with is actually just being a business person Mm -hmm. and this happens to be the medium and it's really cool because now I know that those people who are making things that they know where to find the things that they need to make them yeah so we loved taking your macrame class Mm -hmm. that was such that was the most amazing birthday gift um, from Kelty's husband Um, it was interesting though because when I remember just being in your beautiful studio and it was so peaceful and with these other lovely people and uh, I think in my mind the classes I've gone to the workshops I've gone to are very are really structured where you have this is kind of how you do it and you showed us how to kind of get our drift logs and Mm -hmm. and figure out the basic knots and then you were kind of like and then just you know and you showed us a few different knot types and you're like then just do whatever (laughs) and I was just like what but it was interesting Um, seeing some people in the class were really like okay great and other people were like no, I, yeah, um, no. I need to know. I need like a graph here. I need you know some sort of like do it yourself with some serious instructions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved that it's that idea of a workshop being an experience and a process that's communal, but also just very personal. That it's a creative experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. That you're not teaching us so explicitly that mm-hmm. you know we just learn the skills and we don't actually kind of move into the medium ourselves. I think, so I taught a class last night, and the woman who came, she actually had, it's the second time she's taken a class with me, but one was a different kind of, it was a very specific pattern, and she came, and she looked around the studio, and she actually, she grabbed a wall hanging off the wall and said, oh, I'm going to be inspired by this, and kind of try to copy it a little bit, but she finished her piece by the end of the class, it was done, and she was like, oh my god, I take classes as, this is my thing. She loves to go and take workshops. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've ever finished a piece in a class. And that was really satisfying for me because I knew that she not only got to go through that creative experience, but she also got to complete something. And that doesn't always happen. 
uh, sometimes people are more, they want it to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But I like holding the space for people to just have an experience, whatever kind of experience it's going to be. I don't want to have that structure with it's well it's interesting because it's creating structure someone's paying money Mm -hmm. to spend three hours with me in my space or in a different space Mm -hmm. so that's the structure they know that they're going to get the materials to a degree they know that there's going to be some snacks they know that you know there's there's these these guidelines this framework but then once you get in there it's the same kind of thing it's like creating that that uh you know i'm cupped hands or something which i feel like i'm using as a metaphor for so many things because like i was saying about the house like this vessel Mm -hmm. this empty it's not empty but it's a supported vessel Mm -hmm. of a space where people can come in Mm -hmm. and do whatever i mean a lady last night also wanted to just make like a really long chain Mm -hmm. and that's what she did how did you learn macrame um was it in a kind of an, an intentional winging it way, as we say? <laughs> Was it well, structured? Well, I'll give you the short version of the story. But I, uh, it was in 2012, and I had seen some macrame in a shop in Portland. And also, Adam and I have over 100 plants at our house. And so I wanted to, and I had a couple of vintage plant hangers, and I wanted to learn how to make one. So I, it was just in my mind. And I've always been very hands-on I can make things with my hand. I've been making things with my hands in different ways for since I can remember mm-hmm. um, but the way that I learned was through my mom actually and she and I hadn't really seen each other for about 20 years um, my parents got divorced when I was nine and so it was kind of a big deal to learn from her um, and it was an unexpected kind of beautiful moment of reconnection Uh, where Adam and I went to the East Coast for a trip and ended up being invited to go stay with her for a few days. And she'd had some pretty serious health problems, and I felt like, okay, I'm 30. Maybe, you know, my mom's not going to be around forever. I'm going to reluctantly try to find some healing here. And then I found out that she had made macrame in the 70s, and I was like, okay, well, if we can do something together... Mm-hmm. and make something together maybe it'll take away some of that anxiety about mm-hmm. what this experience is going to be like so she taught me how to make a plant hanger and that's how I learned mm-hmm. and uh, the rest is kind of history <laughs> wow amazing. yeah amazing yeah um I've heard you talk about how before a modern macrame <clears throat> you said something like that something was missing from your life mm-hmm. and what what have you found through doing macrame besides that reconnection with your mom and I mean that reconnection with my mom is something that I really never expected would be there and uh, I mean growing up my dad was here in Portland and he raised myself and my other two siblings and as best as he could you know uh, he's kind of a workaholic and so we had like nannies and uh, his girlfriends that would come in and out of our lives Mm -hmm. but I didn't really have that mother figure in my life. Like I didn't know how to shave my legs or put makeup on or anything like that. Um, but so, so, you know, at 30-something, all of a sudden having this relationship with my mom was this huge deal. And it's mm-hmm. still, you know, I mean, it's been five, six years, and we're still navigating what 
it looks like to have a relationship because there's no rule book that says Mm -hmm. when you reconnect with your mom after 20 years of being estranged here's what you do (laughs) so you're writing it as you go yeah, yeah and it's really special and it's it's a cool experiment because I'm not afraid to ask for what I want or need from her in a way now because I feel like if I if I uh, if I get it wrong or if I ask for something too intense or something she can't provide I feel like it's all part of the experiment and she can just say no actually I can't provide that for you right now mm-hmm. and it's what's the worst thing that's going to happen we're going to be estranged again for 20 years like I don't really have that fear of failure about it mm-hmm. Um, but so that's something that relationship with my mom is definitely the the biggest piece um, I think that I've realized also that I that it's not so much about the thing that I'm sharing but about the feeling of the connection mm-hmm. so and I'm still in this uh, navigational moment with, even though I've been doing this macrame company in business now for, you know, five, kind of five years, sort of. I mean, between, <coughs> between three, between two and three and five years. Anyways, it's been a, it's been a while. It's six years. Time is really just weird, isn't it? Um, but I, I, you know, part of the other part of the story about becoming this macrame teacher is that uh, I ended up teaching a macrame workshop to Japanese magazine editors in my living room as the first time that I ever taught but they they just wanted to have them they wanted to have plant hangers and I could have just sold them to them but I think that for me it's the switch of consumption Mm -hmm. like instead of having the thing that it's bringing people together to make something or you know I don't know what the next iteration will be but it's bringing people together for a connection and I feel like the thing that I've gained the most from this is, is that that point of connection with myself when I actually sit down to actually make macrame or make art or meditate, which I'm not really doing right now. But you know, the, the, yeah. the whatever the things that that are uh, that are connecting ourselves back to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's kind of the juicy spot. And right now, the medium happens to be teaching. Who knows what's next? Last time we saw you at a, a social gathering, you were talking about how you just finished your book tour and you were coming down from just a lot of hard work for a long time. And you kind of likened that work process and experience to kind of a birth like of sorts. Um, and I loved hearing that. We were mm-hmm. talking with Gretchen Jones about how creation is creation and how we can all go through these things, whether with children or with creative pursuits or with businesses. Um, tell us about how that how that process was. Yeah, so it's interesting to equate it to a birth in a way because while I, starting in 2014 was when I had the idea to write Modern Macrame, the book. And it took four years from May 2014 when the idea kind of was born to the actual physical book being in my hands was four years and during that time while I was traveling around the world and teaching macrame like in Japan and Copenhagen and all these places and um, a lot of my friends were having kids 
and uh, my path sort of started to veer to the left in this way of of owning a company and having employees and importing rope and uh, designing a book and writing a book and everything that went into it, um, delegating to amazing artists and other people that helped me make it. And then over here, there's like these people who are, you know, getting pregnant, having babies, figuring out their lives in a totally different way. And but it is still like I, I, I felt a little bit left out in a way from their experience you know not getting invited to like kids birthday parties or whatever because i was not even in the country you know i, I guarantee they felt a little left out from i, <laughs> I swear to god Emily. as someone on the on that right side not getting invited to all the launch parties and all the amazing trips yeah but still let's validate acknowledge your feelings yes. Thank you. I know how that feels. Well, the grass is always greener, right? Sure. It really is. Yeah. I mean, there, and and I'm interested in how to get to the point where it isn't, where, like you said, we can validate each other's experience mm-hmm. and have it be, have it have it all have a value. You know, it all has a value. Uh, but I think there's something magical too about looking across that grass to someone else's with admiration mm. or inspiration not that necessarily yeah, yeah like i think yeah. the the thing to me is not looking at that and feeling like a piece of shit about it right. or or feeling regret or feeling Jealous. guilt or je- mm-hmm. jealousy or whatever it is yeah. but feeling inspired or feeling grateful for them or looking at, at it for what it is and like we know. get to live vicariously through you yeah. on Instagram and through your travels where mm-hmm. you have no idea how many times we've seen your travels and been like oh my gosh like we're gonna do that someday like Aww. or we've done that and we were in Barcelona and like that was amazing and let's talk about that like that stimulates either um, a memory or a future dream mm. which has been really wonderful but what's it been like for you to see your friends having kids what have your thoughts been as far as your past and your future yeah i mean we as far as adam and i having children it's something that we've talked about since we got together and i think you should if you partner with someone you should know in the first you know not maybe not the first date okay but you like have an idea how where do you stand you know is our having kid is it a fuck yes is it a maybe is it an absolute no and i think uh we've vacillated between maybe or if it happens or uh to i feel like i'm gonna regret it if i don't and uh then adam being like i think i'll be a really good dad and i want to have your babies and these very sweet kinds of things uh, but but looking looking on the outside, I definitely have friends who who I would call bad birth control because their kids are at least what we see of their kids mm-hmm. and the way that they talk about the experience is very much like oh we could totally do that you know they have one kid they they have flexible lifestyles making they, it work they make it work. And then the other parents who just, you know, their relationships are disintegrating, their kid hasn't slept for six years, Mm -hmm. they have to lock them in their bedroom at night because otherwise they don't get any sleep. You know, I mean, part places where you're like, okay, I'm not judging you because I have no idea what your your world is like. Mm -hmm. 
but is that awaking some fears within you? Yeah. Like, what are your fears? Like, what are the, if you were to mind map this? Mm. I mean, uh, okay, so let's say that we're assuming that we could have healthy children. Because that's the first thing that people don't always, when they ask that question, okay, I'm 36, uh, I've never been pregnant, um, been pretty safe over the years, so, you know, um, it's not like I've been very cavalier with it, but I I don't know if it's possible, right? Uh, so assuming that everything works great and the child arrives and everyone's healthy and happy, um, I think one of my biggest fears is losing my sense of my identity and my freedom. Um, and that's an issue even in my relationship, you know? And so Adam and I have have you know rule not rules we have a we have understandings around our freedom and flexibility so that we can be who we are without losing that you know to another person he brings so much amazingness and joy into my life so i'm gaining so much from it and i do feel like having a child would also bring that joy into my life um do you feel like it would be hard to have those same kind of guidelines about or around a kid? I mean, I think from what I perceive is that there's probably a handful of years at the beginning where pretty much everyone that I've talked to said that they don't know who they are and that they don't have uh, an understanding of themselves because now there's this person that has attached mm-hmm. themselves to them and it's changing their perspective and their identity. It makes me wonder if all of those people had a good sense of who they were before they had kids, though. Yeah, and I think you have an amazing sense of who you are. Thanks. I think that we don't have an agenda here. No, to convince no, you. <laughs> no, no, like, no. But no, that's no. a really interesting point, though. It, that, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, and to think, oh, go ahead. I, but yeah, I just think that it, it's mm. very common for us to have kids and then be like, oh my God, who am I? Not that this has changed my sense of self, but I wasn't quite sure who I was or what I wanted before. And now, and now this is even really further. showing me that yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Not that I thought it was one thing and now it's another. Yeah. Or that uh, it's, an in- <clears throat> it's interesting that you use the word that I lost my sense of self, mm-hmm. that who you are goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, something Kelty and I talk about a lot is that we have become more of ourselves through mm-hmm. having kids, which maybe it's a mindset, maybe it's a, a personality thing, maybe it's just an individual circumstance thing. But I know people who felt they lost themselves in starting a business, in any or large like event, in a partnership, a or in a partnership, or, or in a loss. Yeah, you know that they've lost themselves. Um, but then what happens? Right. You know. Yeah, and I think that. But then what happens? Moment mm-hmm. is kind of where it gets juicy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, something that happened recently with the death of our cat was that I realized how much of a capacity I really had to love something that wasn't myself or a partner or a parent. Uh, it was the first time that I really experienced that deep loss. And it showed me in this way that actually there was enough love in my life to go around mm-hmm. or for a, another kind of being or person or child or something. Um, so that's been interesting because since since she passed i have started to feel more like actually this is something that i want um so 
I one of the things that uh, that I've been experiencing and going through over the last couple of years also around this that is kind of like a, a roadblock I would say um, is that I have really pretty severe uterine fibroids and um, the doctor told me the last time I was in there was that my my womb is f- as if I were five and a half months pregnant. So I'm walking mm-hmm. around with this like mass inside of me all the time um, that is a hindrance to the potential to even have the potential or the opportunity to conceive. To conceive. <clears throat> um, and so when Adam and I talk about do we want to have kids, there's this whole other piece of the puzzle that is um, that's really scary. Uh, and emotional because everyone says, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? And I'm like, well, do you really want to have a conversation about this? Mm-hmm. Um, how far do you want to go into it? Mm-hmm. You know, do you, maybe, yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, and what we've been talking about recently is the fear, beyond the fear of if we had children and it was a healthy, happy child, and I was a healthy, you know, postpartum mother. Um, the fears of, yeah, losing yourself or the fears of not being able to travel as frequently or whatever, all of these things really uh, go back to that, this, this first physical thing, which is, you know, that Adam and I haven't been able to put our whole hearts into the, even the idea of it. Because we don't want to be disappointed if it doesn't work. Um, which has been just a hard piece to the puzzle. And I think that that's also been part of why we've been like, well, maybe, you know, we're getting married this fall. Like, we're going to wait till we get married and then we'll talk about if we're going to try. That's such a catch-22 where you need to go through the steps of thinking it through to gain some conviction about whether yes or no, but then whether yes, if you decide yes, then that's going to put this other concern to the test. But you can't really know, can you figure out this other concern, the physical concern, before you figure out, do you even want kids in the first place? Like, what order? How does that even? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if we, well, we if, if we were, if I was the kind of woman that knew from childhood that I wanted to have babies and that it was really 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 important to me in my life that I had to have children in order to be the woman that I want to be or whatever that looks like I think I mean there's so many other ways that you can do it I mean I have a girlfriend who said that she would be the surrogate for us if we wanted to go that way Mm -hmm. I mean assuming that you know the eggs are healthy and everything yeah yeah would we want to go down that road? I don't know. Or you adopt, know. or whatever. Any or other. adopt. Yeah. Adopt <laughs> has been on the on the table. We've talked about that too. Mm-hmm. We have some friends who tried. They didn't want to go through IVF or anything, and they now are adopting an infant. They're on the list, and as soon as one comes, they're going to be parents. Um, so there's ways to be a parent. You know, mm-hmm. I think that Adam and I we also joked about. You know, yeah, getting children from other countries or finding ways to support people who already who are there already. You know, mm-hmm. that can be supported. So, like fostering or like child sharing or what? I mean, I think my 
when I when I fantasize about child rearing, I totally fantasize about child sharing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I think that the the best thing that ever could happen to divorced parents is that they could have or to divorced children of divorced parents is that they could have more parents to take care of them assuming In, everything everything's went ideal well. yeah yeah <laughs> well, we've known we've long. had friends whose parents were separated and they, they thrive two <clears throat> amazing sets of parents that live nearby they have two happy homes and the like, parents get to to parent you know half time half time and yeah. really it doesn't you know, always happen that way but no it, it does nice one yeah, so many we ways like to, to go about it. Yeah. But that idea too, where I've heard you talk about your business, as in, you, it's not all you. You, mm-hmm. the success of your business and the success of you, um, those two things rely together on rely on a lot of other people, a lot of other talented people. I don't think that the idea of child sharing is a modern idea. I think it's an old idea, yeah. which is what we did. Right. It takes a village, right? And, yeah. And I. I feel like people always say it takes a village, but not everyone thinks about their actual child rearing in that way. Well, I think then it's most of our history that we are aware of is about the nuclear family. It went from the tribe mentality mm-hmm. to the nuclear family. And so now thinking of like breaking that apart is just, oh my God, that's that's not good for anybody. Or people um, think of it in <clears throat> in more kind of common ways, like a lot of people use their in-laws for child, like consistent child care and, and multiple sleepovers a week and mm-hmm. things like that. Or have a great nanny that they trust. and Or godparents. They're, mm-hmm. or, yeah, yeah, they're essentially child sharing with a care provider or with a grandparent. I think that's so true. We do that already. Yeah. But what I love about this, Emily, is that I'm hearing so much intention in all of this talk about building a family in mm-hmm. whatever way you guys can. And I think that what's going on with the fibroids and what's going on with all these other things are just reminders to be intentional. And you could think of them as roadblocks to this thing you want that you're not even sure you want, or they're just a reminder to keep checking in with yourself and being like, do we want to keep doing this? Do we want to keep pursuing this? You know? Yeah, they're asking all the questions that I I feel that most of us don't even or haven't even asked. How would this change my life? What are the other ways I could be a parent? And what am I willing to give up? And what am I willing, not willing to? What do I want to keep? Just like you did with your relationship, where you're like, well, I want to, I love you, and I want to be in a relationship, but I also need like my personal time, or I need. Mm -hmm. Most people just drive each other crazy, living (laughs) living in a shitstorm instead of being like, let's get this organized and figure out what's going to make both of us happy. Yeah, you know, and I love that. But that's inspiring that we can be doing that with our kids too. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I think that that you know we're going. I keep going back to mm. this bowl. You know, like the pelvic bowl, right? Mm. When I close my eyes and visualize my pelvic bowl, like I can't get it clear. Mm. I can't see that, and I'm really like I'm. I'd like to just brag <laughs> for a second that I'm like really a master visualizer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe, believe it. Yeah. Uh, but I have had such a hard time visualizing that clarity because it's just so congested. And so when we've thought getting going back to the uh, KonMari, mm-hmm. that energetically I've been so excited about uplifting and moving all the energy around in our house because I'm like visualizing our basement is like full of, mm. I mean, we still have our litter box from our cat mm-hmm, that's like mm-hmm. down, the two of them that are just down there that haven't been taken out yet, you know. There's a lot of stuff down there that's that's like stuck. Congesting. Congested yeah. and crinkly mm-hmm. and like funky and 
and stagnant. And so I, I keep trying to visualize, like, I keep trying to visualize this clarity and this moving through of the energy that I think will also support. I believe that there's a way that it can also support the physical body. Yeah, a, a vessel is a vessel. Right. Clearing the house to clear the, the body and mind yeah. and soul. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I love it. We always end our talks with um, the question, um, what is a question you think we could all ask ourselves more often? I've been thinking a lot about uh, the fuck yes. I can say that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're all mm-hmm. grown-ups here. Um, and trying to apply it to things, to, to every aspect of my life. Is this a fuck Yes. How does it make me feel? And can I do better? Sometimes the fuck yes is saying, you know what? I need to just take a day that's not going to be in front of my computer. And I know that I have the luxury to do that in a way, but I think that there's a, there's there's like the balance between the the thing like yes, this is a 100% yes. And sometimes we don't know yet, like about having children. We don't totally know. We're not at that place. And sometimes it takes a long time to get there. But I think the journey to get to that point and then making your decisions based on what that, how that feels inside your body, I feel like that's something that everybody could spend a little bit more time meditating on. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Visit modernmacrame.com to learn more about Emily, her shop, and her beautiful book, Modern Macrame, available everywhere. Find her on Instagram at Emily underscore cats to follow her inspiring travels and stay up to date on her workshops. Yeah, and as always, we would love to hear your thoughts on our conversation with Emily. So get in touch, whether DM, phone, email, or through our website at upbringing.co. Lastly, you're doing an amazing job. We're so proud of you. We're right here with you, taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. So thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. Till next time. Mm-hmm.